In the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew, Jesus gives us one of the most difficult commandments in the whole gospel. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. How the heck are we supposed to do that? Today, I will try to start to answer this question by exploring stress management. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. As we get started, I want to share the opportunities that you have if you want to support the show. First, check out the Awaken app. Here at Awaken, we have a free app published where you can get access to all of our shows. There's a great alternate uh, kind of social media that's, uh, I think, much more positive than other forms of social media on there. And also access to all the premium benefits if you're a member of the Awaken Nation or one of the patron communities of one of the shows. So go over to theawakenapp.io or search for the Awaken app on the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. If you want to support Physically Spiritual, the podcast, you can become a member of the Physically Spiritual patron community. Just go to physicallyspiritual.com to go and see the benefits at the different giving levels to become a member of the Totus Tuus Society. Well, this is an exciting episode for a lot of reasons. It's the 50th episode of Physically Spiritual. So for anyone who's made it through all 50, I am eternally grateful that you've gone on this journey with me. I Going and starting off, I wasn't sure we would get this far into it, um, but I'm excited for the 100th episode now. This is also the end of the second season of Physically Spiritual, so um, hopefully it's obvious that I try to think a lot about the shows. Um, each show, you know, there's hours and hours of research that go into it. I try to um, to not just uh, figure out what I'm going to say, but actually figure out that what I'm going to say is worth you hearing. So I'm typically reading a lot of books and articles and listening to podcasts and talks and all sorts of things in preparation for these episodes, and I want to keep the quality up. You know, I could just keep releasing an episode every week, but frankly, eventually I'm just going to be making stuff up that no one needs to hear about. Uh, so I'm going to take a couple months off, uh, keep studying, uh, get some new ideas together so I can bring you some more top-notch content. So please pray for me in the next couple months as I continue to craft season three of Physically Spiritual, and I will pray for you. This also is coming uh, to the end of our series on asceticism our subpart of season two on asceticism. And we've been exploring different ways that practices of health uh, are also ways that we can practice asceticism, ways that we can mortify our flesh and our desires uh, to bring them in order with God's design, that they can become an ally in our journey to God. So we're going to finish that the series off with an episode on stress management. Stress management. I, I say stress management because... What's really optimum stress isn't no stress. You know, sometimes when you hear talks about stress, the person will go on and, and give you like a laundry list of ways that stress is going to kill you, like cardiovascular disease and dementia, and you're more likely to die in a car crash and all this other awful stuff. And it's true, chronic high stress has a thousand negative effects on our life and can be very detrimental to our long-term health. Um, but on the other hand, just because stress can do bad stuff to us doesn't mean that all stress is bad. 
right? The goal isn't to have zero stress. Having no stress can be as harmful as having too much stress. Actually, having no stress would be being unconscious, <laughs> Uh, Just being awake, uh, most people's cortisol, their stress hormones actually spike first thing in the morning because that's your body coming up into a wakeful state. Every time you breathe in your sympathetic nervous system, the part of your nervous system that controls the, the fight or flight, that kind of stress response is being activated in a little bit. So to be conscious is to be having stress in your body. But we each have our own personal tolerance to stress. So for, for one of us just keeps us awake and gets us excited and helps us feel alive will make another one of us feel like we are out of control. So the trick isn't not having any stress or just avoiding too much stress. It's really having the right amount of stress. Right? We all have preferential choices. Some people don't feel alive unless they're at war or bungee jumping or riding a roller coaster. Others of us feel perfectly alive sitting at home by ourselves and reading a book. Uh, So we each have, I think, both uh, sort of a sweet spot in our life where we feel comfortable and safe and and it's an adaptive level of stress for our life. And then then that's also informed by our story, by our history, right? What's brought us to this point. So I think it's both a a nature and a nurture question of what our our preferential choice or, or, or ideal range of stress is. But I don't think many of us spend all of our time in that ideal range, right? We, we all have times to think where we get too low, right? We get too low and, and can't get ourselves around to doing what we need to do. And other times that we're too high, that we're overwhelmed with stress. So let's dig through the human person a bit and simply ask the question, what is stress? First, physically and biologically, what, what's stress? What's happening in the body? Well, every stress begins with some kind of perceived danger or perceived safety, on the other hand. Right? Our ancestors were food for predators. We live in the modern world where we have the, the luxury of being toward the top of the food chain, but that hasn't always been the case. So we have this whole ancient um, framework in our body that enables us to flourish in an environment where we're not safe all the time. And this ancient system continues to attempt to protect us from any perceived threat. That could be an actual predator like a, like a, a lion or a tiger or a bear that's going to attack you. Or it could be, you know, that email that comes in from your boss that frustrates you or that text message from your mother-in-law or, or any number other of other ways that we get stressful things in our life. So there's this perception of danger. And um, a scientist, Stephen Porges, who I talked about some in season one of Physically Spiritual in the episode, The Tiger in Your Inbox, where I talked about polyvagal theory and the autonomic nervous system. Um, he talks about this process called neuroception. Neuroception. Neuro, like neurology, the brain, the nervous system. Inception, like perception. It's our nervous system's capacity to perceive things independent of our consciousness. And this is faster than conscious thought. So to understand why this is the case, we have to talk a little bit about the anatomy of the brain. And a lot of uh, people commonly talk about the brain as sort of three levels um, from a vertical sense. The bottom of the brain, the brain stem, the most ancient part of the brain, is controlling a lot of the automatic functions of the body. Right? The brain stem is why you don't stop breathing when you stop thinking about breathing. It's, it's controlling um, a lot of what's happening all over the body all the time. It's the part of the brain that we have in common with 
almost all other living things. There's the next layer of the brain. The next layer up is sometimes called the, the limbic system, the middle part of the brain. It's controlled mainly by the amygdala. This is more of the emotional part of the brain. This is the part of the brain that, that mobilizes when there's threat or, or calms us down when there's safety. And then finally, there's the top part of the brain. This is the cortex. This is the part of the brain that's involved with consciousness. Uh, so note one thing. If input from the body is coming to the brain, primarily up through the brain stem, uh, so it's coming up from the bottom, that means all of these inputs have to go th pass through the amygdala, in a sense, to get up into the cortex. Now, this is a super oversimplifying, a really complicated thing. So if you're like a neuroscientist or a doctor or something, you're probably screaming to yourself saying, um, that's not exactly how it worked. But this is, in a nutshell, <laughs> what's going on. So these signals of safety or danger are hitting that, that limbic system, the amygdala part of the brain, before it's getting into your consciousness. And so our body is constantly phasing between states of safety and danger based on the perceived threat or the perceived connection of the, the people around us. So in, in the case of stress, we're specifically talking about the perception of danger. And what's being then mobilized by this perception is the sympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system, which is then signaling the body to do a couple things, to release some hormones. The adrenal glands above the kidneys, th these are, are instantly releasing adrenaline or epinephrine. This is like the, the quick response, the first response. Uh, then the hypothalamus pituitary glands releasing cortisol. Cortisol is, is the most common hormone that we talk about when we talk about stress. Cortisol is a really interesting hormone. It's a glucocorticoid, and this is just a fancy term meaning that it releases glucose around the body, gluco, glucose. So glucose is what the body uses for energy. So it makes sense if there's potential danger, well, you're going to need some energy to run away from it. So, so this cortisol signals a release of glucose from storage from, from the liver, from the muscle, and from various other sources around the body. This also triggers an increase in heart rate and breathing uh, in the shutting down of non-essential systems for short-term survival. Things that sound pretty essential to me like digestion, growth and healing, and reproduction. <laughs> right? So what the body is essentially doing is saying there's an immediate threat. We need to focus everything we have on taking care of this immediate threat. And in the process, we are reallocating resources from other parts of the body in order to do this. So this is the physical process that's happening. But for us, uh, how do we notice that this is happening? How do we actually bring it into our conscious thought? And I would propose that if, if stress is something we struggle with, this might be the first thing that we have to start to do, is to notice what's actually happening in our body. What do I actually feel? Do I feel safe? Do I feel some kind of danger or life threat? What's going on in my sympathetic nervous system? What's going on with these hormones in my body? And we have to do this by, by noticing the effects they have in us physiologically, right? So one of the things that's going to happen is the heart rate's going to go up. The breathing's going to go up. Notice your breathing. Notice your heart rate. The other thing that happens is you, sometimes people just feel this kind of energy, this restlessness, right? You get up and you, you, you just have to leave the room or you start to get angry, right? That's the fight response. You get this anger response. So you start to notice what's happening. If we don't notice what's happening, 
our brain will actually step in and try to figure out what's happening automatically. Uh, one of the um, uh, a, a, a counselor who's tried to popularize some of these theories, uh, Deb Dana, uses the adage, story follows state. Uh, she, she said this in her book on the polyvagal theory and therapy, story follows state. And the idea is that the stories our brains are telling us about what's happening in the world around us is the brain trying to make sense of the feelings that are in our body. But it's not necessarily true. It's not necessarily the case. I've used the example before of traffic, right? Somebody cuts us off in traffic. Automatically, we might start thinking things like, oh, they're just a jerk. Like, how dare they? Don't they know that, you know, I'm here? Aren't they going to pay more attention? They're going to hurt somebody, right? The brain starts saying these things. But then the cortex could step in and we could start thinking things like, oh, I wonder why they're in a hurry. Like, why are they in such a rush? Maybe we might have empathy for the fact that they're so agitated that they have to drive like that. Or maybe we could make a positive assumption like they're rushing to the hospital or maybe late for work or something like that. So even though story follows state, our state can also follow the story that we make up for ourselves. I'll say that again. Story follows state, but state can also follow story. So we as humans, unlike any other animals, have the power to tell ourselves stories. So I can intervene in this process by thinking of something different. And these primitive parts of the brain aren't actually very skilled at distinguishing between an image from your imagination versus an image that's come into you through your senses that you've perceived. So you can affect your autonomic nervous system by imagining things. I think this is one of the the deep insights and wisdoms in the Catholic Church's tradition of meditation. Right, that we use our imagination to think about God, to think about the scripture, to think about God in our life. And by doing this, our body's literally physically reacting to what we're meditating on. Our, back, our body's reacting as if God is real, because he is. As if the scripture is true, because it is. As if God's involved in our life, because he is. So we can begin to intervene in this process by using our mind and also by being aware of our body. So the goal, though, remember, isn't to get rid of stress. We're not just trying to be zen. We're not trying to be completely detached from the world around us. What we really want is sort of an autonomic flexibility. We want our ability to not be stuck in our autonomic reactions, right? Because the first thing in the morning, what wakes us up is a stress reaction. What tells us that there's danger on the horizon, like a car coming down the street when we want to cross the road, Right, that physical sensation of don't walk is a stress reaction. Right? These stress reactions keep us safe. And in a sense, the autonomic nervous system is caring for us. These sympathetic reactions are essential to our survival and thriving. But we don't want to get stuck. We want a certain adaptive responsiveness or a reaction that fits reality. Right? When there's something that I need to be afraid of, I ought to be afraid. I ought to have stress around that situation. If it's not something that's actually causing me any kind of danger, then that stress reaction might not be adaptive. Some of us might need more stress to feel alive, to have energy, to be productive. Others of us need low stress. Uh, So oftentimes what, what gets us stuck or feeling stuck can come from trauma, can come from our past, or things in our implicit memory. Because the the brain is a pattern-making machine. And it's solving for survival at every moment. 
So, so what it does is our experience in, in the past are stored by the brain in order to then uh, sort out and decipher the experiences that we're currently having. So the way I'm experiencing the world around me now isn't just an un, unaffected, cold, calculated experience of the world around me as it is. It's the world that I'm experiencing in light of all of my past experiences. And these memories are sometimes called implicit memories. And those are contrasts to the explicit memories that we have actual images of. So the, the brain is using this whole store of implicit memories in order to interpret what's going on currently. In the, the first season of Physically Spiritual, I did a whole series on uh, renegotiating memories, on experiencing the truth. And I'll link those in the show notes if you want to dig more deeply into that. But I want to kind of stick with uh, stress in itself in this episode and not get so much into those things from their past that can get us stuck. One thing I want to note is that stress is different than fear or worry or anxiety, right? So when Jesus is giving us this command, don't worry about your life, he's not telling us don't be stressed, right? It's something different. Worry, in a sense, is stress plus something else. It's plus a thought. It's plus a choice. It's plus an action, right? If it wasn't something that we could choose to do or not to do, it wouldn't be just for Jesus to give us a commandment about it. If it's not an, an action that we choose, it doesn't have moral character. It doesn't enter into the realm of ethical choice. So when we're talking about things like fear, worry, or anxiety, this is something more than just the stress response. It's involving our thoughts and our choices. Uh, an interesting TED Talk by Dr. Kelly McGonigal, I will link in the show notes also. Um, she's, a, I think, a psychiatrist or a psychologist, and she was involved in talking about the negative effects of stress. But she encountered a study at one point in her uh, research that looked at people's life and asked them basically, how stressed have you been over the last so many years? Then asked them another question on top of that. Well, do you think stress is a problem, right? Do you think stress is bad for your health? And then it looked into the death records in this area in the preceding years, five or 10 years out. And it asked the question, how did the death of these people correlate with the ways that they answer these questions? And it confirmed the, you know, what, what a lot of people have found, that stress increases our potential health risks and hazards and, and therefore our risk of death. But what the, the, the study also found is that there was a correlation between uh, not just that they were stressed, but also the way the people perceived stress. The people that, that even though they were stressed, if they perceived that their stress wasn't actually a problem, they didn't really have a higher mortality rate or, or a much greater mortality rate than the general public. Uh, so that got her wheels turning. And, and her theory is that one of the hormones, there's, there's a bunch of hormones that are released when our body notices danger. I mentioned adrenaline and cortisol, but the body also releases a hormone called oxytocin. Oxytocin is, is talked about as like one of the most positive hormones in the body that we want more of. It's sometimes called the cuddle hormone. It's the hormone that, that drives us to be in contact with other people, both in social relationships and physical contact, but then also gives us a, a positive, warm, comfortable feeling when we are in physical contact with another person. In a sense, oxytocin drives us to be together, to be in communion, to be in relationship. And this makes sense because as a, a people and as our most primitive ancestors, as tribes or as packs, as a tribal people, one of our greatest survival mechanisms was being together, 
working together, collaborating. And this is why we are so good at communicating and so many other of the positive qualities of being human. So stress through the release of oxytocin drives us to be in communion, to be in relationship. So it's not just stress that's detrimental. It's how we frame our stress and how we react to our stress. So just having stress isn't necessarily bad for our health. It's thinking that that stress is bad for us and then not entering into relationship in the midst of it. One of the interesting things that they discovered was that like one of the effects of cortisol in the body is the increased heart rate, but also the constricting of blood vessels. Uh, when somebody's experiencing oxytocin, though, and encouraging that oxytocin release and, and re- re- reacting to that oxytocin release, then even though the heart rate still escalates, the oxytocin actually relaxes the blood vessels. So the oxytocin works against the deleterious and negative effects of the other stress hormones in order for it to actually not be uh, harmful for the body. I'll link the TED Talk. It's great in the show notes. So check out the show notes uh, for all these resources to go deeper on these topics. I want to change gears now and look at this question a bit more theologically. Uh, I want you to to frame, though, that idea of stress does it drive us away from people or toward other people? Uh, the, the, the Genesis story, I think, illustrates sort of the beginning of when stress became worry or stress became fear. Uh, so Adam and Eve in the garden, after they sin, they hide. And when God encounters them, he asks them, you know, what are you doing? And, and Adam says, I heard you coming, so I was afraid. So they were afraid of one another. And Adam and Eve also responded to their first sin by covering themselves, specifically the parts of themselves that differentiated them from one another. So now they're afraid of one another. right? So, so now they're not just stressed because there's a potential danger in the environment. They're also experiencing fear on top of that. They're hiding. Uh, and interestingly enough, remember that, that the, the, the relief valve or the thing that helps us to encounter that stress response and not be harmed by it is oxytocin. So there's something about sin in particular that drives a wedge in the natural wisdom of our body, right? Because the body is always doing things um, basically to protect itself, to survive. But sin in particular is driving a wedge between the part of the reaction that's going to harm us and the part of the reaction that's going to help us on the inside, Right, the, the fear of sin, the hiddenness that we're driven to as a result of sin is telling us that when we're encountering something bad, oh, like take care of this yourself before you tell anyone else about it. Right? Solve this problem on your own because you don't want to be a burden to anyone else. It's saying if anyone knew the situation that you were in, they wouldn't love you. Right? This is the result. These voices are the result of sin in our ancient enemy, the devil, and his demons who get into our head and whisper these things. And sometimes then they, they correlate with these memories. I think really that, that the, the demons, what they do is they, they take these negative experiences from our past and our implicit memory, and they, they use them to testify against the goodness of God and the goodness and love of other people. And then on the other hand, God comes into our life to try to reformat our experience. Almost every time somebody encounters God or an angel in the scripture uh, in a direct way, what they first say is, do not be afraid. 
don't be afraid. I don't think that's just random or, or accidental, right? God is tending to our human nature exactly where he knows we need it. He's, he's, he's approaching our heart with such care. So now in the context of this, let's take another look at the story from uh, Matthew chapter 6 that I started this episode with. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. So notice right away Jesus is hitting on things that correlate with our survival instincts. right? Our need for food and our need for shelter, for protection against the world around us. And like I said, this isn't accidental that these are the things he's saying. So he goes on later in the verse and said, Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you besides. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient for a day is its own evil. Sufficient for a day is its own evil. When animals get really stressed, uh, when they, they perceive danger, they do this really interesting thing. A lot of times afterwards, they'll like shake. They'll, they'll see their body vibrate. They'll, they'll actually do something to complete the stress response in their body, right? They, they act out in some way automatically to release that energy. We humans are, are unique in that that cortex part of our brain and our spiritual life, our thought life, actually can intervene in that response. And we tell ourselves lies. We tell ourselves things that, that interrupt that natural process of releasing the stress and we get stuck as a result of it. Right? We tell ourselves things like, oh, you know, men don't cry. Boys don't cry. Sometimes we're shamed into it by our caregivers. We'll tell ourselves things like, I can't react like that because I'm in public and what will these people think about me? Or, or sometimes we're just so habituated to repress our emotions that we force that stuff down. But that energy, that, that reaction stays in our body. It affects our, our epigenetic expression. It, express, it, 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 it affects almost every part of our physiology. And we get stuck in it. So there's a wisdom in what Jesus is saying here. Sufficient for a day is its own evil. The danger that you encounter today is what you have to worry about today. You know, don't worry about the big report that's coming up in two weeks. Yeah, work toward it. Work toward it. Do what you need to do now to get to that point. But you need to deal with the the facts of what's happening around you. And, And we can start to enter into this by reframing our experiences in light of the gospel. Right? Like I said, this is one of the great wisdoms of meditation. We start forming the brain and body to react as if God is present, because he is. Because one of the most stressful things for us as humans, as social animals, is our, our social hierarchy. Right? We, we've uh, adapted in packs and tribe kind of setups. And, and so... In a pack or in a tribe, sort of the, the top of the food chain gets fed first. And this is um, reflected in, in much more uh, intricate and in complex ways in modern society. But you might think of it as sort of the wealthy getting taken care of first. But one of the most stressful things for us as humans is our perceived lack in the midst of, of our peers. Our perceived lack in the midst of our community around us. So our stress isn't just sort of a, uh, an objective measure of what we have to take care of ourselves, but it's our objective measure of what we have in comparison to everyone else around us. 
And historically, this would have been like the 20, 50, 100 people that we live with in our town. But now, uh, thanks to modern technology, this is extended out to everyone, right? The thousand people that we're friends with on social media and all the celebrities that we follow on television and all the messages that come at us from advertising. So we're literally bombarded with messages that are interacting with our physiology to make us feel like we're not safe, that we're not enough, that we're not taken care of. Uh, Well, I think God actually has something for us that's an antidote to this. And it's in the passage. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God. Right? What's a kingdom? A kingdom's a social hierarchy, right? A kingdom has a king, and that's God himself. But the way we're in, invited into this kingdom is as sons and daughters. Right? We're invited into the kingdom of God as his children, and the children of the king are in the royal family. Uh, so in a sense, in the, as if we're all members of the same kingdom, we're all members of the same tribe, we're all members of the same social hierarchy, but we're all on the same rung. We're all God's kids. We're all princes and princesses in the divine kingdom. We're all going to be cared for with all of the depth of riches and wealth of the king's coffers. <laughs> right? Don't worry about what you have to eat and what you have to drink. And to be involved in this kingdom implies that, that we're going to act on behalf of the king in the kingdom. Right? So this isn't just like a, a Pollyanna, I'm just not going to do anything and God's going to take care of me. I'm going to quit my job and, and you know, food's just going to miraculously show up. Some people actually do that. It's called being a mendicant, being a beggar. The religious communities, they literally live off of what's given to them that day. But the average Christian... We're called into a society where we're called to be in a community of gift, right? So I can trust that I'll be taken care of because uh, in God's love, you'll take care of me. And you can trust that you'll be taken care of because I'll take care of you, right? This is the kingdom. This is the image. This is what God's inviting us into. This is the church. It isn't just a set of good ideas. It's a radical new way of living, This is what the Catechism says about this verse in paragraph 2547. It says, Abandonment to the providence of the Father in heaven frees us from anxiety about tomorrow. Trust in God is a preparation for the blessedness of the poor, for they shall see God. This is referencing the, um, the Beatitudes. Right before this in the Gospel, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor, the poor in spirit specifically. Uh, Blessed are basically all these conditions that we would say are bad things. And Jesus says that that they will see God. You'll have this relationship with the Lord that will be the center of your life. So let's land this with some practicals. Let's land this with some practicals. What can we actually do to be less stressed? The first area I would propose is an, an asceticism of time. In asceticism of time, we have to mortify our desire to get more done and act in a way of of reparation for all of our busyness. So we need to literally choose to slow down. Our modern world's moving at a pace that our biology is not adapted for. It just doesn't fit. So we have to make choices to slow down. 
in order to really take care of ourselves. So this includes things like learning to say no when people ask us to do things. Eliminate multitasking. Multitasking is an illusion. A lot of people talk about this today, that, that multitasking actually doesn't happen. What you're doing is you're switching really quickly between one thing and the other. There's so much wisdom in the scripture about slowing down. And I would propose one of the wisdoms in the scripture is with the idea of Sabbath. Sabbath, that Lord worked for six days in creating and then took a day off. Not because God was tired, but because God's teaching us how to live. So Sabbath, we have to make it a way of life. So we actually have to to not just show up at church on the Sabbath. That's like the bare minimum base thing to do is to go to church on the Sabbath. Beyond that, we actually have to avoid work on the Sabbath. Like if, if you can schedule your actual job around it, you should. But even more than that, don't do other work on the Sabbath. Like God was actually serious about that. <laughs> Could you imagine? Um, but there's a wisdom, I think, in taking one day out of the seven uh, to Sabbath. I would propose, um, like a lot of people get two days off. You get the weekend off. One of the days you have off is for doing the work you don't get paid for, right? Like the laundry and the dishes and whatever projects you have. Then the Sabbath is actually just not for doing any work. So give it a try. But also make Sabbath a way of life, right? That scheduling rest is a part of your day-to-day life. One of the things after hearing a message on the Sabbath I made a commitment to do is I make space on my to-do list. Like I make a to-do list but I skip every other line. And what I try to do is first thing in the morning when I start working, I say, okay, God, like these are your lines. You get to fill in those spaces. I'm only going to plan half my time today uh, because if I plan all of my time, I'm not going to have time to get it all done. And then things are going to show up that God wants me to care for, that God wants me to attend to, and I'm not going to have attention for them. I'm not going to have space for them, right? They're going to stress me out. The poor person that asks for something on the street, right? Are they just going to stress you out because you're walking at 100 miles an hour to get to the next thing? Or can you actually engage with them? Uh, So there's a discipline to scheduling rest in your day and then scheduling space for God to be present, for God to determine what's going to happen. We also need an asceticism of our awareness, right? We're a social animal that thrives in, in social situations, And so we're drawn with our awareness all over the place, whether it be social media, advertising, different forms of media. Um, But we have to be aware of what our engagement with all these things are doing. Remember that primitive part of the brain is not adept at telling the difference between what's actually there and what is going on in in your imagination. So this means every video that you watch is affecting your nervous system. Every social media thing that you engage with is affecting your nervous system. Every advertisement you see is affecting your nervous system. Everything you experience is affecting you. You can't actually block the world out. Um, Everything that that you encounter is affecting your body before you can choose for it to affect you or not. So you have to be a steward of your attention. You have to be a steward of your heart and mind. And it's a certain amount of charity, I think, to limit the access these things have to you. Because in the attention economy, in the awareness economy, we're the product. Our attention is the product. And everything that people are offering to us are just ways to get our attention. A podcast can be that way too. right? I I make this because I hope that people listen to it and watch it. right? I'm hoping for your attention and your awareness. 
So I hope what we're doing here is blessing you, right? If it's not, stop watching, stop listening. But but there's a whole economy built around trying to get your attention on things in our world, and it's not in your best interest to fully engage in that. So you have to do things to limit your exposure to all these things. Scientists have found that there's a direct opposite correlation between the amount of time we experience on screens and our subjective experience of joy. More screens, less joy. Less screens, more joy. Now, I'm sure it's more complicated than that. Um, I'll link the study in the show notes. One of the greatest tools we have against stress and anxiety and fear is the present moment. The present moment. What's actually the case Getting in touch with what's actually the case a lot of times is a remedy for our body being stuck in our reactions of the past or reactions that don't fit the actual situation. So just starting with the breath. There's nothing mystical or magical about your breathing. It's just one of the few functions of the body that we can control with our mind and that our autonomic nervous system also can control. So in the same way that, that we can present ourselves with pictures in our mind to calm ourselves down, we can also affect our breathing to then have a ripple effect through our whole autonomic nervous system. So some simple, nice, big, long, slow breaths that are comfortable for you. And just pay attention to that breath in and out. All you're doing is you're placing your awareness on something that's neutral, something that, that isn't going to cause you stress. Then pay attention to something that's pleasant around you. Just notice something in your environment, maybe a plant that's there, maybe a person that you love, uh, maybe something that you enjoy, but just look at it, rest on it. And what happens is your nervous system reacts to that thing that you're looking at. Uh, Then move on to awareness of your body, right? Before you do some grounding, the body might not be a safe place for you to go. Notice how your feet feel, how your legs feel, how your stomach feels, what's going on in your head, your shoulders, your arms. Relax. Find something in your body that feels okay, neutral, or even good, and just sit there. And you're feeding messages to your nervous system that you're safe, that everything is fine, that you're not going to die, that that you're okay. And then you can actually, like I said before, use your mind to direct your attention to safety. Some people uh, do a practice where they do gratitude memories. They think of things from their past that they're grateful for. And when they're going through something difficult, they intentionally call to mind those memories of things that they're grateful for. And they learn to cultivate the experience of gratitude, which is closely connected with joy, the ability of the brain to experience joy. So these are all ways that we can cultivate um, a healthier relationship with stress and eliminating worry and fear from our life in just practical day-to-day ways. Well, what can we do spiritually? Actually, this whole season of physically spiritual is sort of what we can do spiritually to work on this. All the other areas of physical health and wellness interact with the stress. So having a good night of sleep, um, having good healthy food, having healthy strong relationships are like the three biggest things we can add to our life um, to manage our stress level. And then beyond that, we've mentioned that you can fight chronic stress with acute stress. So time in solitude, time alone, uh, fasting, and exercise are all acute stressors, all things we do that, that are, cause this reaction in our body, but then could actually in the long run help fight chronic stress, help relieve chronic stress from the body. And then beyond that, there's spiritual practice we can do, like meditation and prayer. 
Go back to the episodes in the season about meditation and prayer to get this in detail. But reframing the world around us with God's presence, reframing the social order that we're all children of God, that there is no scarcity in God's kingdom. Right? So when we build that habit, not just spiritually, but in our body too, because our body's reacting to those thoughts in our meditation, we're creating a foundation by which the theological virtues can thrive in our life. Right? We don't make the theological virtues be present of faith, hope, and love in our life, but we can certainly push them away. Right? We can force them out by what we do. Sin can push. Um, we can, we can uh, separate ourselves from God, not because God gets distant from us, but because we make ourselves incapable of receiving what God's offering in his intimacy with us. Uh, but we can reframe our life to be a life with the Lord. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this second season of Physically Spiritual. I can't believe it's already been 50 episodes. Um, If you haven't listened to the ones before, go back and dabble. I have some linked in the show notes. I do try to to make um, substantive show notes where I'm linking all the studies that I'm referring to, all the quotes that I give, and then other thoughts and definitions from the program. So hopefully those are a good resource for anyone who wants to dig deeper into these topics. Um, Season three of Physically Spiritual is in the works. Um, I have some exciting things that I'm reading and thinking about and pondering and, and some guests that I'm considering bringing on the show. So please pray for the, the preparation of season three. If you've valued this content and gotten anything out of it, I would invite you just to consider supporting it. The patron community of Physically Spiritual can be found at physicallyspiritual.com. There's different giving levels. If you can give a dollar, five dollars, ten, or even more. Uh, at each level, there's different benefits you get. Part of the future of Physically Spiritual are going to be question and answer episodes and the ability to get those episodes in full or be able to participate in those episodes will, will be from members of the patron community or members of the Awakened Nation in general. So thank you all for listening and God bless.